Now turn with me tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. Let's hear the word of God. Read together from verse 1. First Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll read from verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I laboured more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by Adam, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my subject tonight is entitled, What is the Gospel? And my text is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, really the verses 1 through to 5. You're familiar with the word gospel. It means good news. It's translated from the Greek word but when we think of the word gospel, let's ask ourselves the question, good news from whom? Who is communicating to us a message? What is this good news all about? And thirdly, why do we need this good news? 
And we could also ask, will this message do us any good? Will it help us? And in order to understand something about the theme, what is the gospel, I want us to learn tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, first of all, about the divinity of the gospel. I want you to think of the words in verse 3, I also received. Paul says, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Underline the words, I also received. You see, the apostle Paul delivered to the Corinthian church what he had received by divine revelation from God. And that brings us to something that's fundamental and foundational. And it's this, that the gospel starts with God. Paul received this good news by divine revelation. The gospel is a message from God. Paul didn't think up the gospel. It's not a product of his own mind. He didn't learn it at school. He wasn't taught it by scholars in a university. He didn't wake up in a dream and and it pop out of his head. He he didn't get it out of a book. No, he learnt it by divine revelation. I also received. He delivered faithfully what he had received as a message from God. And as the late Dr. Paisley said, and I quote, before the gospel had its reception by man, It had its inception in the heart and mind of God. Now, I want to stress that because the gospel is not man's invention. The gospel starts with God. It was God that planned and God produced the gospel. Salvation remembers all of God and all of grace. And when I think of the gospel, I think of the words, of Ehud to King Eglon. Eglon was the king of the Moabites sitting in a summer house. Ehud was a man raised up by God and he was sent with a message for King Eglon. And he said this in Judges chapter 3.20, I have a message from God for you. Now imagine tonight getting a message from Queen Elizabeth II. You would be all excited. You'd be talking about that. You'd be telling others in the family circle and those that were friends and neighbours. You'd be sharing, I got a message from the Queen. Suppose you got a message from the Prime Minister that she wanted to meet you and have tea with you and talk to you about something that was happening in the country. You would be all excited. But, But over and beyond the Queen, beyond the Prime Minister or any other dignitary, think of this. I have a message from God for you. And every gospel preacher comes with that mindset that the message that he brings is a message from God. You see, the gospel starts with God. That means there is a God. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool have said in his heart, there is no God. And I want to tell you tonight that there's many in Northern Ireland who have that mindset of atheism no God. Not only there is no God, but, but no God. It's not just a mindset of atheism. It's a mindset of rebellion. And how many professors they are in the greater echelons of society, in great institutions and bastions of learning. And, and this is what they tell people. 
that, that there is no God, that there's no heaven or hell, that, that, that the Bible is just a book full of errors and throw it away and forget about listening to the preacher or forget about going to church and listen and do what the atheist said. I heard a wee story about an atheist that was spouting out that nonsense. I'm not sure it was down in the city hall or not, but it could have been. And someone in the crowd inched their way forward and asked the atheist preacher this message, Are you happy? And of course he couldn't answer. And she kept on asking him, You've told us that there's no God and no heaven or hell and we don't have to worry about a sinful lifestyle and we throw away our Bibles and not attend church. I want to ask you this question. What you tell us, will it do us any good? Will it help us at the end? Will it make us happy? And of course he couldn't answer. And the wee woman kept pressing at home. Because you know what the Bible tells us? Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. God made us as image bearers from, of himself. Even though we're fallen, there's still an ache, there's a void, there's something in the heart of man that only God can fill. There's a craving for joy and peace and happiness. And that, of course, joy and peace and happiness is only found in the life of God through faith in Christ. So remember the divinity of the gospel. And as we think about the gospel, it starts with God. It starts with a message from God. God is, the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the rest of the Bible is an unfolding drama of God's redemptive acts in history. I want you to think secondly of the necessity of the gospel. Because if you look at our text, it says how that Christ died for our sins. Now remember, we asked the question at the very start, why do we need this good news, this message from God? And here's the answer. Man is a sinner under sentence of death, and he needs a message of good news. And the good news is this, that God has provided a remedy for human sinfulness. Man as a sinner needs to be saved from his sinfulness and God has provided a remedy for human sinfulness. And of course, men don't like or women being told that they're sinners, that they need to repent because it hurts their pride. Because it levels them in the dust. Remember Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when did all sin? We all sinned in Adam. As we've read here in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 22, for as in Adam all die. You see, remember in Adam we received a bad record. We inherited the guilt of Adam's first transgression. And every other sin of thought and word and deed incurs a multitudinous of guilt. We also inherited from Adam not only a bad record but a bad heart. A heart that loves sin. Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 17 and 9, heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? And if we were going around the doors here in Carrie Duff and I asked people, um, are you good enough for heaven? Most people would say, no, I'm not good enough for heaven. They would realize that they've done a few bad things and they would probably uh, be honest enough to think about them. But if I pressed them, about the subject of hell, and asked them, are you bad enough to go to hell? Many would protest against that. Because you see, many have the mindset, yes, I may not be good enough for heaven at this moment, but I'm not too bad to go to hell. And of course they're wrong. 
because they don't know themselves. You see, if you think of the way that we're made, yes, it's true we have an inbuilt capacity that only God can fill with joy and love and peace and true happiness. But we've also an inbuilt desire for worshipping something outside of ourselves. Travel the world over and man is this innate desire. Whether it's amongst the native Indians in North America or whether it's in the, the hearts of the jungle in Africa. Man has this inbuilt desire to worship something out of himself. Man is also, as far as his life is concerned, is full of sinfulness within his human heart. Remember what the Lord Jesus said. He said in Mark chapter 7 verse 21. From, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And if we get the biblical picture about ourselves I'll give it to you in four little thoughts. Romans 5. For when we were yet without strength. Without strength. That means that we had no power or ability to save ourselves. That means that we're without strength to render any spiritual good towards God that would be acceptable to God. Not only that. The Bible tells us in, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That the word godly or ungodly not only means that we're without God, and that's very true, but it means that we have an anti-God bias within our heart. The mindset is, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And also think of the word in verse 10, for if when we were enemies, and an enemy, of course, is someone who's an heir of divine hostility as far as God is concerned. And then we've got this other word. But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the picture? Without strength, ungodly before the Lord. Sinners, because that's what sin is. Remember, it's a transgression of the law. For, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Sin is the transgression of the law. And add in these words, enemies. You, you see, the problem of the heart is the heart of the problem. And it's nothing to do with his environment. Adam was in a perfect environment. It's nothing to do with education. Adam had, had tremendous wisdom being the first man made in the image of God. He had so much wisdom he could name all the animals. It's nothing to do with education. It's to do with his heart. For as in Adam, all die. Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin into death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. And here's the necessity of the gospel. Here's why we need this good news. Man is a sinner before God under sentence of death. And God in amazing grace and in love has provided a remedy for human sinfulness. And God comes with that message to do with his remedy. I want you to think also thirdly of the centrality of the gospel. If you look at our text very quickly and very simply it says... For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Notice this, how that Christ died for our sins. Notice verse 4, it says that he was buried. Verse 4, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Christ died. He was buried. 
He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And I ask tonight, who or what is God's remedy for human sinfulness, for the problem of human sinfulness in the world? And the answer is Christ. God's remedy centers in the personal work of Christ. That's why it's important to recognize who he is. He's God manifest in the flesh. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Think of John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Galatians 4 and 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, when the time was right, and the time was right. What did God do? God sent forth his son. How? Made of a woman. Made under the law. That is subject to keeping the law of God perfectly and holy. That, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God sent his only begotten son into the world on a mission of mercy. The Lord Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We woman in Scotland asked me one time, what did Christ ever do for me? And here's the answer. He was born for us. He lived a sinless life for us. He died an atoning death for us. We thought this morning of the horrible death of crucifixion. And when you think of the death of Christ, even the death of the cross, remember who died? Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, Son of Mary, Son of David. When? 2,000 years ago. Where did it happen? Outside the city walls of Jerusalem. What way? The horrible death, the painful death of crucifixion. Why? Why? Here's the answer. Christ died. That, that, that's a, a historical fact. But for our sins, well, that brings us into the realm of theology. He died as a substitute. He took my place. He took your place. He died for me. He died as a surety. He paid the penalty that we couldn't pay to the broken law. He died as a sin bearer. He bore our sins in his own body in the tree. Think of the words, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He died as a sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he died and shed his precious blood because in the ground of the blood there's atonement. It's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Is it any wonder Paul could say to Timothy, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You see, God's remedy, young people, is in Christ. That's why salvation's not in the church. It's certainly not in the Roman Catholic Church. It's wrong for the Roman Catholic Church to say that there's no salvation outside its ranks. Because the Bible says, Acts 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And remember, whenever he was born, the news was brought to Joseph in a dream by the angel Gabriel. And it was the angel Gabriel said to Joseph, his, his stepfather, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save. See, the name Jesus means saviour, for he shall save his people from their sins. 
And there's the centrality of the gospel. And we don't preach a set of rules and regulations. We don't tell you to join the church to be a Christian. We don't try to initiate you with church rites and ceremonies and saying you must be catechized and you must be baptized and you must be confirmed and all the rest of it in order to be a Christian. No, because God's salvation, God's remedy for human sinfulness is Christ and Christ alone. Only Christ. That's why we say it's not the church that saves, not a Protestant church, not the Roman Catholic church. It's not the pastor or the priest. It's Christ. You go to Christ alone. He, he, he's God's remedy. I want you to think also here, fourthly, the authority of the gospel. Did, did you notice in verse 3 the words according to the scriptures? In verse 4, according to the scriptures. You see, what's our authority for preaching that salvation's in Christ alone? And the answer is the scriptures. If you think of the word Bible, B-I-B-L-E, be instructed before leaving earth. The Bible's God's instruction manual. We believe the Bible to be God's infallible, inerrant, authoritative revelation to man. The message of the gospel is interly connected to the word of the living God. And, and God speaks to us out of the scripture. And this is what it, the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. And he said, for all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All scripture is given. How? By the breath of God. We have a God-breathed book. A book that's infallible. A book that's inerrant. A book that's authoritative. A book that centers in Christ. Oh, we had a people that rediscovered what it was to tremble at the word of God. To realize that God has spoken. Did God not say to this man, Will I look to him that is poor and broken in spirit, and who trembleth at my word? It used to be in England said when the preacher would have announced thus and thus saith the Lord people sat up and listened they, they pricked up their ears they, they were glad to hear that there was a word from God we, we've seemed to lost that and we need to rediscover that and I know there's a plethora of versions out about today and uh, we reject all of them including the NIV we, we, we say to you to remain faithful and true to the authorised version because we believe it's the most faithful and reliable translation of the Holy Scriptures out of the original Hebrew and out of the Greek. And God has blessed this book to us uh, down uh, through the centuries. And we stand four square on, uh, on the infallibility and the inerrancy of the Bible. And I want to say tonight there's no errors in the Bible. There, there's no exaggerations in the Bible. And woe to be to any free Presbyterian minister that would say that there is. I would hold him accountable. I, I would endeavor by the grace of God to, to challenge him. Because there are none. All scripture. Every word of God is pure. It's precious. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And oh, we had confidence to, to, to get the truth of the word of God out. I, I want you to think also here, uh, fifthly, of the instrumentality of the gospel. 
Notice here in the text it says in verse 2, By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Notice those words, ye have believed. You see, this remedy of God, who is the person and work of Christ, must be received. The remedy must be partaken of. And how is it partaken of? It's partaken of by faith. Think of the word faith, an acrostic, and faith, forsaking all, I trust him. And of course, this faith to believe is a gift of God. John 3 and 16, um, the word believeth there is in the present continuous tense. It means to, to, to trust in. It means to adhere to. It means to rely on. And, and this gift of God, which is uh, the, the, the deposit of faith, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Where does true faith come to, to, to lay hold in Christ? Well, well, it's a gift of God in the Holy Spirit. When we're born of the Spirit, he deposits that gift of faith, that ability to lay hold in Christ and receive him freely offered in the gospel. Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Suppose tonight I discovered somehow, even though I'm not medically minded, a remedy for the disease of cancer. And I could go into the medical wards of the hospitals in the United Kingdom and I could offer this remedy that I discovered. And I even said to people, it's free, it's without money and price. I'm, I'm offering it to you. What would they have to do? Well, they would have to partake of that remedy for themselves. They'd have to reach out and take it. Now, I want to tell you tonight, horrible and painful as the disease of cancer is, and I, I wouldn't want to minimise that, uh, that suffering that the individual goes through or the family goes through or any other type of disease. But let me assure you tonight, there's a worse disease at work in the body of many. Millions across the, the, the United Kingdom and beyond. And that's the disease of sin. And, and sin's a horrible disease. And sin, of course, is taking us down to death and taking us down to the depths of hell. And God comes with this good news. This good news that Jesus saves. And encourages us, commands us, summons us to repent and believe the gospel. To, to, to exercise faith in Christ. And it's us forsaking all, all self-righteousness, all self-reliance, all, all, all self-thought uh, about worth and, uh, and thought about saving ourselves or, or thought about the church saving us and repenting of that and, and putting our faith in Christ. The instrument of the gospel is faith. That's why Martin Luther was so thrilled with the message. The just shall live by faith. The righteous. How do they live before God? They live by the faith of the Son of God who loved them. And gave himself for them. I want you to notice. Sixthly the vitality of the gospel. If you look at verse 2 it says. By which also ye are saved. See, the word saved is a Bible word. Remember the gospel, this good news is the power of God unto salvation. And what is this 
good news when we receive this remedy, which is Christ do. Christ changes lives. He saves us from the power of sin and its consequences. He saves us from sin's penalty, which is eternal death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, it's eternal life. You see, there's life, eternal life alone in Christ. And and he saves us from the power of sin. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. And the reality is if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And of course, you, you can't be saved and live like the devil. You, you, you can't be saved and live willfully and continually in a life of sin. There, there, there's a, 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 a divorce of the soul from sin. There's a hatred for sin. There's a repudiation. There's a turning from it. There's a sorry enough to quit. Why? Because he is breaking sin's power in our life. We, we now hate sin. He takes the love of sinning out of our heart. He deals with sin's pleasure. And one day he'll save us from sin's presence. See, we're not saved by our good works. We're not saved by the church or our religiosity. That's not the ground. The ground is Christ. He's the foundation stone. He's the cornerstone. But when he saves us, then he saves us from sin and its consequences. And that is seen in a changed life. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought, the hymn writer said, since Jesus came into my heart. That's why the unsaved talk about us seeing the light. And in a sense that's true. We've seen him who's the light of the world. And, and, and his light has, has shone the darkness of our soul. And we've repented and we've embraced him. And we now walk in his light. Because in his life is life. And life forevermore. One final thought. I want you to think tonight of the certainty of the gospel. If you think of the words in verse 4. It says that he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures. How do we know that the gospel message is true? And I point you tonight to the empty tomb. The garden tomb in Jerusalem. He is not here, the Bible says. He has risen as he said. You see, God was pleased and satisfied with the, the work that the Lord Jesus did in the cross. And God the Father, by a, a miraculous power of his own power, raised again his only begotten Son from the dead. And the resurrection is a testimony to that. That God was pleased with the sacrifice of Christ. That Christ had pleased the wrath of God. Satisfied God's holiness. The resurrection of course is the best attested fact in history. And we're talking about the bodily, visible, tangible resurrection of Jesus Christ. What evidence is there for the resurrection? The empty tomb. You can go and see it. The body's not there. The body of Muhammad's still in the tomb. The, the body of Mahatma Gandhi is still in the tomb. The, the body of Confucius is still in his tomb. And you can go to their grave and they'll tell you the followers, here lies the body of Muhammad. But you'll not find that in the garden, of, uh, the garden tomb. The garden tomb is empty. He is not here. The body's not there. He is risen, as he said. And we've got loads of extra things to prove that. 
the grave clothes, the broken seal, the, 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 the earthquake, the, the falling asleep of the soldiers. Then we've got the eyewitnesses accounts. And Paul mentions them here that he was seen of Cephas, that that's Peter. And then of the twelve. And after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James. Then of all the apostles. And last of all of me. Because wasn't it the crucified risen Christ that revealed himself to Paul in the Damascus road at noontime? Who are you? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. The visible, tangible, risen Christ revealed himself. To Paul in Damascus Road. And Paul's life was gloriously saved. And wonderfully transformed. And of course you've got the extraordinary transformation of souls. Men who were fearful became firebrands. And Peter was one of them. The Bible talks about in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. It says this. Who was delivered for our offences. And was raised again for our justification or raised again in light of our justification or because of our justification see God was pleased with the sacrificial blood shedding of Christ in Mount Calvary and therefore we can proclaim a message of deliverance from the fear of death a message of deliverance from hell itself a message of hope and a message of happiness all based on the glorious testimony. Here's how we know the gospel is real. The tomb is empty. Not only is it empty, but Jesus Christ is coming back and his return, his resurrection will guarantee our resurrection and our union with him in time to come. Let me ask you tonight as we finish, what knowledge do you have of the gospel? Can you take it into your mind that God has a message for you? And that message is necessary because of your sin. And that message is centered in Christ because Christ alone is God's remedy for your human sinfulness. And the authority that the preacher has is the scriptures. God has spoken. This is God's word. This is why you need to repent and get saved. And the instrument is faith in Christ. Not in the church. Not in the preacher. You can be saved and your life can be changed and transformed. And you can enjoy this experience of knowing that you're a new creature in Christ. And you look forward with anticipation to his return and your own resurrection from the dead. And a reunion with loved ones. And it's all bound up in the gospel message of Christ. You can be saved from hell tonight. You can have the assurance that you can go to heaven one day. All because of Christ been raised again for our justification do you know anything about the gospel it's more than just asking Jesus into your heart here it is and I've tried to give it in a full orb manner tonight and I, I trust and pray that God will bless this to our understanding and God will help us as we go out with this message to be able to say to others I have a message from God for you and God's message tonight is to be believed and to be received. I close, but as many as received him, that's Christ, to them give ye power 
to become the sons of God. You can be a son of God tonight. You can go home a daughter of God. You can go home rejoicing and your sins dealt with in peace with God and know that you'll never be in hell and, 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 and you'll be saved from sin all through faith in Christ. May the Lord bless these few words to your heart this evening.